Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. This is BRN Weekly for Saturday, February 3rd, 2024. At our top story today, odds of a rate cut in March slide. Joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, Jane King, financial journalist, joins us from the NASDAQ. Jane, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Good to see you, Jeffrey. Always a pleasure. Uh, let's talk about the jobs report came out on Friday morning. Um, results? So uh, better than expected, 335,000 jobs added in January. The unemployment rate steady at 3.7%. Um, so January is always a little weird. There's some seasonal factors, kind of hard to predict, but it was a strong number. And we've seen a couple of months of strong numbers. So maybe this is a trend. Um, in fact, it was the uh, strongest month of job growth since January of 2023. Uh, professional business services, leisure hospitality, private education, uh, were the groups that added the most workers last month. So what will be interesting is what the Fed does with this information. We saw immediately um, the chances of a March interest rate cut go down even more. They were already pretty low. And the chance of a May interest rate cut also is going down after this jobs report today because the wage number was strong. Um, so that's inflationary. So um, any kind of interest rate cut probably not going to happen until the summer at the earliest. And let's talk about that. So you, what you're alluding to, if, if people haven't been following every day, and it, it's kind of hard to miss it because it's on like it's, it's basically top line news every every day and everywhere. But the Fed, uh, I think the Fed kept rates steady um, and said that it's looking at the March rate, but it really put into uh, question, as you're saying, whether or not they're actually going to do a rate cut, uh, which I think kind of set the market, which was expecting a rate cut, into a little bit of a tizzy. Well, we also had that same day um, worries about regional banks again. New York Bank Corp uh, was a problem. Uh, there was disappointing earnings from Google. You know, so it, it was kind of one of those perfect storm days. We sold off a big rally the next day. But I think, I mean, unless something drastically changes, we're probably not looking at any Fed change in interest rates through May. And it seems like the market now has accepted that. You know, I don't know when you define the market, it's so it's so anonymous. I mean, it's not just one person, but, you know, they've kind of accepted that at least uh, through May. Jane, I want to talk about some tech earnings. And, and you alluded to, uh, you know, there was the tech uh, entrepreneurs, Mark Zuckerberg and others were testifying on Capitol Hill about uh, child safety. But at the same time, we had tech numbers, Amazon earnings, pretty darn solid, had a good Holiday season, but what about uh, Alphabet and some of the other tech company, Microsoft and others? Only one. Well, Apple was a little soft too. Um, Apple talked about China sales were slowing. Uh, they've got some more competition there with Huawei, the the Chinese smartphone company, um, and iPhone sales. The so sixteen, I don't think, has been what people had hoped. Uh, they say it's too much like the 15, no real incentive there to buy a new phone. So Apple was a little soft. Amazon blowout. Um, Meta uh, is uh, paying a dividend for the first time ever. So people like that and they're buying up Meta stock. So those are the two winners with the big tech companies that we heard from this week. And Amazon deciding not to, uh, they divorced from iRobot. And I actually have an iRobot. I like that thing. Yeah, Although I've, I've, I've been having a little bit of problems, by the way, iRobot, but that shouldn't dissuade Amazon from uh, buying iRobot. That's kind of big tech news. And, and Jane, you attended an AI conference this week. AI, as we know, um, that's, a, that's a topic du jour. It's like the flavor of the month club. Uh, how, was, how was the event and what did you learn? 
so it was an interesting, it was put on by some former media people who kind of started this thing called Media Copilot and they're working with AI and they offer classes. Um, but they, their theory is that AI is going to play an important role in the future of media in terms of writing stories and images and things like that. So we heard a lot of talk about that and, and just kind of keeping an eye on that and making sure that it's really doing what it's supposed to be doing in the media industry. So that was what this panel discussion was about last night. Yeah, I mean, I know, look, there have been deep fakes, I don't know what you call them, but fakes through AI of notable celebrities like Taylor Swift, unfortunately. And and I think, you know, we had the Hollywood strike, uh, what, a couple months ago that went on for a while. It was about yeah. writers, but there was a lot of concern about taking yeah, and they've done some of this where they had a de-aged Harrison Ford. They took uh, Peter Cushing, who played Grand Moff Tarkin. Uh, they re-digitized him. So I, th I think there's a lot of concern in the in the in not just media but entertainment about how people are going to be used. And Jane, you and I could be AI avatars. <laughs> well, maybe I could get some sleep if that would happen. I'll just that put would... my AR here and or my AI avatar here, and it can do these chip chats. Yeah, you you know you just can't you can't replace. This, as my mother would say. Uh, Jane, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. We look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. Back to you next week. Thanks, Jane. Always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. And we look forward to having you back on the program next week. And when we come back, we take a look back at some of our best segments. You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN Weekly. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Welcome back. It was another great week of shows with great topics and of course, great guests. We kicked off the week with a look at transitioning from a Super Bowl champion to a successful entrepreneur. Let's take a look. I've always been a, a pretty good student and always took my schoolwork pretty seriously. And uh, I grew up in a very learned environment. You know, my, my stepdad is a PhD. Uh, my, my dad worked for the Nigerian government, has a master's degree. My mom was a teacher, she has a master's degree. 
I grew up on the UC Santa Cruz campus while my dad was doing his uh, his doctorate program there. And uh, if I didn't get B's or higher, you know, I wasn't allowed to play sports. And so that that rule applied to me, my brother and my sister. And so when I retired, um, I jumped headfirst into human performance. I became a certified nutritionist, personal trainer, owned my own training facility in La Jolla back in San Diego. I went to San Diego State. And as uh, I evolved in that box, so to speak, I realized that box was kind of cramping me in. And what I mean by that is around 2010, 2011, 2009 was the rise of wearable devices and technology started to permeate the fitness space. And I got excited about that. I've always been an analytics and an analytics and data guy. And when I started to see that metrics around my human performance, biometric data was telling me something about my performance and my health, I was all in. And I met my kid's mother while I was playing for the Ravens. We never got married, but um, we're great friends. We, we, we've been co-parenting now for 20 years. Um, and I decided that I needed to do two things to feel complete. One, I needed to be around my kids as much as possible. Two, I need to go back to grad school. And um, in 2014, I sold my fitness business. I enrolled at Johns Hopkins where I completed my MBA with an emphasis in digital health. Um, and I got to see my kids every day and coach flag football and soccer and be at PTA meetings and do all that stuff. And um, that put me on this kind of learned path. And from there, I started uh, picking up things like AI and machine learning through some of the professors here at Hopkins. And that was the beginning of my entre uh, entrepreneurial path starting in 2010. And I'm still still blazing it now. You you have to be your own best advocate, first of all. Right. Like you have to know your own needs. You have to know your own shortcomings and you have to be honest with yourself. And you asked me this question about transition. Transition can be hard, especially if everything you've ever done is in that football bag, in that football basket, right? That's all you've associated with. Everything about who you are is tied to that. That's problematic. And I don't think anybody grows up trying to be one dimensional, but ultimately we get put in that box because people have expectations of us. They tell us how great we are. Almost everything that we do is rooted in preparing and prepping for football season. And I think um, it's a it's a slippery slope and it's in the in the this the kind of the the incline or the arc of that slope is different for everybody. I was always pretty, you know, rooted two feet on the ground. Um, I've I've had to work really, really, really hard for everything I've got. I wasn't a first round pick. I wasn't even drafted. I went to junior college. You know what I mean? Like you, you name the hardest path. I took it. So I was already, I was always pretty resilient and just the things that I've been through in life made me strong. Right. So the transition in comparison to other things that I've done that are difficult, it was still hard, but it wasn't as hard as it, as it probably was for some. And so I think that for me, you know, over time, uh, I never wanted to be limited by the past or by anyone's expectation. It was always about me kind of um, thinking forward, being self-aware and understanding that I'm still pretty young. There's a lot of things that I still need to do. Um, and to be honest, I don't know if I answered your question just now, but I remembered that uh, you did ask me about the transition. I want to focus in on that a little bit. Hopefully I, I, I touched on, on what you asked me. I think that there, I have a whole methodology and rubric on human performance, personal and professional. And, I, and when I do uh, keynote speaking or when I present my methodology to, to, to industry or even to students, I always start with the end. And the five character traits that every self-aware, self-actualized person has 
is authenticity, positivity, character, humility, and grace. If you can learn and master those five things, and once again, I shoot for perfection to do those things every day, knowing I never will, but that's okay. It's the attempt at it and the awareness of it that holds me accountable, right? So those five traits permeate everything. They're agnostic concepts. doesn't matter where you are in your life. doesn't matter how old you are. I always start there, and then I reverse engineer everything. And what is that? When you, when you bring that together, that is resilience. That's what builds resilience, right? So... And we also discussed mixed reactions when it comes to the new Department of Labor fiduciary role. Imagine that. Let's take a look. Well, Jeff, I can tell you that the SPARC members are opposed to the rule, and we've communicated that in our uh, letters to the Department of Labor. Um, as written today, it would prevent or call into question uh, many of the things that SPARC members do today uh, to service plans and participants, and, and we talked about a few of those um, in the previous segment, um, and these will negatively impact, the, these restrictions will negatively impact uh, retirement savers. Um, and, and even uh, even if um, it doesn't strictly prohibit a certain activity performed today, by simply calling it into question will cause many plan sponsors to simply choose not to offer that service. Um, and, and, you know, and as Adam mentioned, Spark has been um, particularly concerned with how the rule is likely to result in the reduction of many of the beneficial forms of participant assistance and the assistance that uh, record keepers currently provide to plan sponsors uh, as part of their clearly sales context. Um, you know, these activities promote healthy financial habits, uh, like starting a plan, adopting a well-diversified portfolio, uh, avoiding early distributions. Uh, these are all things that we don't want to see uh, disappear because of this um, overly broad regulation. Uh, the comment period closed earlier this month, uh, right at the start of January, on January 2nd. So right after we uh, raised champagne glasses, we got to file a letter on behalf uh, of Spark. And the DOL is going to be taking a look at those. They're going to be, you know, thinking about the feedback they received and starting to work to get to a final rule. Um, as you mentioned, they received a little over 19,000 comment letters. Um, a lot of those, some of those are, are form letters, right? Things that, that a lot of people have sent in. But I think they've received maybe about 400 unique comment letters, again, including um, Sparks letter raising concerns with the proposal. And I think in the next couple of months, DOL is going to be looking to, to, to incorporate that feedback. But at the end of the day, I think the final rule is largely going to look very similar to how it's been proposed. There might be some tweaks around the edges, but for the most part, um, it was clear that this was the type of rule that they wanted to, to advance and we would expect to see something very similar to the proposal. Um, in terms of next steps, timelines, things like that, this is obviously a clear priority for the department. This is a, a clear priority for the administration. This was actually rolled out um, um, you know, unlike a lot of the, the rules sometimes in the retirement space at a White House press event involving the president, acting secretary of labor, um, they want to get this done and, and it, we expect them to get it done quickly. Um, one thing that that is going to encourage them to get it done quickly is um, there's some special rules that say at the end of an administration, if there's an election and the opposing party can control both the White House and both houses of Congress, uh, there's a special procedure under the Congressional Review Act, which makes it easier for that incoming party to essentially eliminate and erase regulations that were finalized at the end of the term. Um, 
there's concern in an election year that, that those types of thing, things are in play. I don't, I think because of that, DOL is going to move to get this finalized very early in the year in order to avoid those challenges. It doesn't mean DOL thinks they know what the election is going to, to what the outcome of the election is going to be. Um, but with a rule this significant, they don't want to jeopardize it or expose it to those types of, of challenges. Um, that's kind of the conventional wisdom in terms of timing, what we expect to see. And obviously with the fiduciary rule, we've seen, you know, surprises happen, things slip. Um, we've been surprised before, but I think generally the, the conventional wisdom here is that we would expect to see a final rule early in uh, the first half of 2024. Well, uh, Jeff, back in 2016, Spark was not part of the, the court case, um, and we aren't currently planning to get involved this time uh, either. Um, however, we are seeing firms and other trades line up uh, with the intent to sue the Department of Labor to try to stop this change. Um, I guess the one thing that's different from 2016 is that uh, the court challenge uh, that um, the, the court a challenge from 2016 is now um, is now precedent, and I suspect that this case will find its way back into the fifth uh, Fifth Circuit, and that um, that rule back then was invalidated. Um, so, uh, 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 so I suspect that uh, a lot of the groups that are planning to um, fight this in court uh, are probably feeling pretty confident uh, of their chances. However, as you know, Jeff, uh, outcomes of court battles are, are always a hard thing to predict. Um, but again, I, I, I think the, the folks that are planning to, to fight, the industry folks that are planning to fight it uh, feel very favorable uh, in terms of their chances. Um, so I guess we're not really sure what will happen, but I suspect that there will be a court battle. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Weekly. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more, all in one place. Check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, then visit our website. We're back again tomorrow for BRN Sunday. We'll be taking a look at the big picture. We'll be joined by the Legal Eagles, David Levine and Kevin Walsh of Groom Law Group. And then Oliver Rennick of the Schwab Network will be here to break down markets. So until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe. Keep on saving. And don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device.